The Destiny Foundation is proud to present this series of lectures by Rabbi Beryl Wine. We hope you enjoy. Parshim Nitzavim, this week in Nitzavim Vayelech, uh, are always the last parshas uh, before the new year, and uh, therefore they uh, deal with the concept of tshuva, and they deal with the concept of uh, spirituality, so to speak, with the ideas that are uh, prevalent on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it says in the parsha, All of these events will occur to you. Moshe portrays for us all the events of Jewish history, especially the sad events. Uh, you will uh, return it to your heart, meaning that uh, you'll think about it. And if you think about it, you'll begin the process of returning to God. So uh, the Mephoshim explain, is Kabbalah lahab I'm sorry, is Acharota l'shoavar, it's regretting uh, mistakes of the past. If you think about it and analyze it, so you see mistakes that were made in the past. And then, Vashavos Elavavecha, that is acceptance for the future, that you won't repeat those mistakes. So the, there's a strange uh, Gemara uh, that uh, he quotes here. The Gemara says, Loya David Roy Lo Samase. David should never have, uh, so to speak, been tempted uh, to fall into that trap with Bacheva. So the except that the Gemara says, David Shehekim Ulo Shal Chuva. Through his behavior, David uh, showed us the power of tshuva, because even though he did uh, that act, uh, nevertheless he was uh, not forgiven, but he was restored to being David Melech Yisrael because of the power of tshuva. So the first question is, uh, obviously, uh, why, uh, what, what, what does that mean, that uh, he, should, he wouldn't... Uh, he, he, so to speak, was uh, suckered into doing the sin so that he could prove tshuva. What kind of a mida is that uh, in heaven? What kind of a measure is that? And also we have the idea that there were many people who did tshuva before David. Boris says, Ruvain, Hain, Odomarishan himself. It's not uh, that uh, David invented something new. So what does the Gemara mean, Sheikim Ulo Shal Tshuva? So this is a, uh, you know, uh, this is a uh, complicated piece here, because he looks at it from many different angles. So one of the angles that he looks at is the prayer that we say on Yom Kippur, which is the prayer of Rova. Rova used to say this every day. Uh, in our... Uh, in our liturgy, uh, in the Ashkenazim, we don't say it every day. Uh, we say it only on Yom Kippur. But there are uh, customs amongst the Jewish people that do recite it every day. 
and he said as follows, Ad Before I was created, I was not worthy. And now that I was created, I'm also not worthy. It's as though I were never created. I never came to this world. I'm uh, just a scrap of dust, in, even in my lifetime, certainly after one's lifetime. And I am like a uh, container filled with shame. May it be your will, that I should not sin anymore. And what I sinned, you should erase through your mercy. And we add, uh, not through pain or illness, God forbid. So that's a very strange prayer. What does it mean? Before I was created, I was nothing. And now that I'm created, it's like I wasn't created. There's a famous uh, pun in the Jewish uh, tradition. There was a uh, Jew by the name of Kevelson, Chavelson, in Russia, who was a great Talmud Chacham, but uh, who wanted to be a professor. And to be a professor, he, he had to convert to becoming a Russian Orthodox Christian. Later on, he became the one of the chief censors of Jewish books uh, on behalf of the Tsar. But he always, you know, people are very complicated. And uh, so he always felt himself Jewish. And he felt himself to be a hero to Jewish people because he let a lot of things slide in the censorship. So he said, you know, Ad Shalono Tsarti, he said, until I can, didn't convert, right? Notsarti from the word notsari, right? Any kadai, it wasn't worth anything. But achshav shenotsarti, but now that I became a Christian, the goyim still hold me to be a Jew. Kilulo notsarti. It's as though I never was converted, right? So he said that that prayer applied to him, but that's certainly not the pshat in the prayer. So uh, I'm going to uh, discuss uh, his ideas here. First of all, he says it's the prayer of Rava. Rava is uh, uh, one of the outstanding uh, members uh, in the Talmud. The Gemara usually uh, decides the halacha like Rava. In almost all cases in the Talmud, there are six exceptions, but uh, generally speaking, and Rava was the head of the yeshiva in Surah, and uh, he was uh, the leader of his generation. Yet the Gemara says that Rova was the most uh, modest man of his generation. The Gemara says that if we could pray like Rav Chizda, and if we could uh, do uh, uh, good deeds like Rav Huna, and we could be modest like Rova, that would be the perfect package. Then you'd be able to put it together. So uh, Rova is seen as this great, great, modest person. Now, one of the great signs of modesty is that the modest person doesn't realize that he's modest. 
because modesty itself uh, many times is just arrogance. And uh, the famous uh, quip of the Chatam Sofer that uh, in his time rabbis would sign their letters, Mimeni Hakotan, from me who was such a small, insignificant person. So he once got a letter from a certain rabbi and it was signed, Mimeni Hakotan, and he said to his son, look, he also thinks he's a Kohen. So uh, it's, a, uh, it's a very delicate matter, modesty, humility. Not to be full of oneself. And uh, it's especially a delicate person for someone who has great talent or great knowledge or high position or is respected by others. So then naturally... Uh, it becomes more difficult to be humble, to have humility. As I said, uh, someone once told Harry Truman uh, about a certain senator. He said, well, he's a very uh, modest person. And Truman says he has much to be modest about. (laughs) So, uh, you know, know, but if a person that is... uh, uh, brought to greatness and to heights, finds it difficult to be modest. And that's, uh, the Gemara says, that's the great uh, accomplishment of Moshe Rabbeinu, that we read in the Torah of Ish Moshe Onav Mehod. Moshe is the most modest of all people. But Moshe realizes his greatness. Moshe knows that it fell Be'adaberbo. Moshe knows that he spoke with God, so to speak. Moshe knows that he has to wear a mask because his face shines. Uh, Moshe knows uh, that that he performed all the miracles. So because of his greatness, that's why the Torah chose him as the exemplary person of modesty, because that was the most difficult thing to accomplish. Moshe and Aaron said, What are we? And uh, therefore, Rova who was the great uh, leader and scholar and head of the yeshiva in Surah, uh, he is the example that the rabbis chose in the Talmud of modesty simply because of the fact that it was, uh, let's say, more difficult for him to be modest than people who have a lot to be modest about. So he says, Ra'inu, we're in the uh, page 150 in the left-hand column, Ra'inu shoyorova onav maod mikola odom asher bezdoro. Right, so we have a concept of a machlokas beit shamai and beit hilel, whether a person should feel that it would have been better off not to have come into this world at all. Noach lo odom shelonivra, or whether one should not feel that way. And uh, Beit Shammai said a person should feel that it was better not to have been created. And Beit Hillel said that a person should feel thankful that he was created. And it's interesting that the Gemara says that Beit Shammai prevailed. No. (laughs) That uh, Beit Shammai prevailed and that Beit Hillel prevailed. agreed with that position. But they both said, 
now that we were created, we've got to make the best of it. We have to do what we can. Then uh, that, that's our task. So the Gemara says that the Reish Lokish said in that Gemara, he said, well, we really have to thank our ancestors uh, that uh, they, uh, because of them, we've come into the world. So Tosfus asks if Reish Lokish says that we have to thank our ancestors for having come into the world, it's obvious that the halacha should be like Beit Hillel. And yet the Gemara says that the halacha is like Beit Shammai, that we were better off not to. So Tosav gives a strange answer, but an insightful one. Tosav says, when a baby is born, we don't know, no one knows what's going to be with him. The baby can be a, a righteous person, a saint, uh, he can uh, heal people, he, he, can, uh, he can be a great man, he may have great talents. The baby can be Hitler. The baby can be Stalin. The baby can be Chairman Mao. It can be Assad. Right? We don't know. So at that moment when the baby is born, uh, since we don't know, so uh, it would be better off not to have because the possibility of the baby being a terribly evil person is great. However, once the child is born and trained and become civilized, and becomes a good person. So then we give thanks to the previous generations that the baby was born. Meaning that the previous generations have a hand in taking this child that could have been so destructive and raising the child to be so positive. And so he says, that's why it says on Rosh Hashanah, Sifre Chaim Vesifre Mesim Psuchim Lefonov. The book of uh, those who are alive and the book of those who are dead are open in front of him. So all the Mephoshim ask, you know, the dead are dead already, right? The, the, that score is over. We know the result there. So I understand that the living are judged on Rosh Hashanah. But how are the dead judged on Rosh Hashanah? And so the point that he makes here is that the dead influenced the living. The dead, so to speak, shaped us, created us, not just physically, uh, but socially and morally. And therefore, they still have a hand in how uh, things turn out. And therefore, they are constantly judged. And that's what the Gemara says, A son, a child, can bring merit for the parents. Because credit, so to speak, of a good person goes both forward and backward in time. It applies to what is the children are going to be, a role model to them, but it also is a testimony, so to speak, as to what went before, because no child is raised in a vacuum. Now, this should not be taken to uh, to the extreme uh, to say that uh, if uh, you know that if a person is evil and has a child that is uh, you know wonderful, 
uh, that the evil never occurred. That the Gemara doesn't mean. And it also doesn't mean in the opposite sense. That someone that was good and kind and fine, and somehow uh, the, the descendants don't turn out that way, that's not necessarily... But uh, the idea that he says is that the Sifre Mesim, the previous generations, what went before is uh, taken into consideration. For instance, I got an email this week from somebody who said uh, he doesn't understand. Uh, he said, oh, what if a child that's born in India if, uh, to Hindu parents... You know, so, and, uh, the, and that's the culture he's raised in, etc. So he said, you tell me that God punishes him? What what choice does he have? So I wrote him back and I said, you know, that there is a moral law that everyone is bound to and that Hindus are also bound to and that everybody has his choices. That I can't decide how God uh, decides, but that uh, it's obvious to me that uh, the whole idea that I can't do anything because that's the way I was raised, is a false idea. And that's why we have the story of Avroma Vinu, which we concentrate upon so much during Rosh Hashanah, because Avroma Vinu, his father is Terach, and he lives in a terrible society, and he lives a world in Zdom and Amora, and Avroma Vinu somehow emerges from it as the father of all nations and the great... Uh, monotheist, etc., because of the fact that ultimately we all have our own choices. And what we choose to do, we choose to do. And therefore, uh, the idea of Sifre Chaim, Sifre Mesim, is that the Mesim have an influence, but it's not an excuse for those who are alive, and it's not a detriment necessarily for those who are not alive. But the influence has to be seen. If you're raised in, uh, you know, I remember uh, in my generation, so on my block uh, in Chicago, where there must have been a hundred boys my age, we all used to play together and go to public school together. Half of their parents were, were uh, Stalinists, communists. And uh, even when I was nine, ten years old, we used to fight with them, right? Uh, verbally, because they said, you know, uh, America is, uh, is doomed, and uh, little kids, because they were raised that way. So on one hand, what can you say? Uh, it's, is it their fault? No. Uh, but I, uh, many years later, I came back to Chicago, and I saw many of them, and none of them were communists anymore. They were all making money and moved to the suburbs and drove uh, big cars, etc., so there are choices that a person has, and their influence is there. And nevertheless, uh, so th- 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 the idea of uh, of Sifrei uh, Chaim and Sifrei Mesim is that somehow in heaven it's taken into account. Now how much into account, and where and how it works, that we don't know. But there, it's certainly taken into account. So somebody that... Uh, Grows up, uh, let's say, in Borough Park, in the, the ninth, or goes up here in Yerushalayim, and someone that grew up in uh, the Soviet Union. So you cannot judge both of them on the same scale. But on the uh, but on the other hand, we have to say 
that each one of them has a freedom of choice, has an option to be what one wants to be, and therefore uh, that's what is involved. So he says when a child is born, it's better not to have been born. Because we don't know. We don't know how it's going to turn out. But once it turns out, and it turns out favorably, so then we have to thank our ancestors simply for the fact that we were born. And the, the Gemara says that that's part of the idea of of honoring parents is because they gave you life. Without them, you wouldn't have life. So therefore, so to speak, it's a debt of gratitude uh, that the Torah demands from us. So Rava, who is the uh, the uh, leading uh, modest, hum- uh, humble person of his generation, so Rava said, listen, uh, when I was born, nobody knew I would be Rava. So then uh, maybe I would have been better off not to have been born. Now that I have been born... So I have to realize, as though I never were born, right? Meaning I have to realize uh, that uh, I can ruin myself. I can be a very destructive person. Because I wasn't born to be a Rosh Yeshiva, and I wasn't born to be a righteous person. I, I have choice. And therefore, when I stand before you, I'm ashamed because even though I had all these choices, I did not always exploit them. I, uh, I so to speak, I, I, and, and that really, he says, is the secret of humility. The secret of humility, and I'm going to talk about it, Shabbat Shuved, at length, uh, in the Drosha. The secret of humility is not what I have accomplished, it's what I have not accomplished. The secret of humility, the Gemara says by David Amelech, that's why we're going to say that he was the one that was making Mula Shel Tshuva. Uh, he said, The arrows are farther than you. That was the, the message that he used uh, to warn uh, Yonason of uh, the intentions of Shoal. But it, it, more than that incident, that's a message for life. The arrows are always beyond you. We could always do more. We could always somehow be better. And if a person realizes that, so then there's room in that person uh, for humility, for modesty. Could be better. And therefore, uh, because of that, uh, Rova says, I'm kichli mole I'm ashamed of the fact that I didn't do more. Yeah, that's, I always have that story about uh, when I was around Miami Beach and there was a Jew from Cuba. That was the Cuban Jews started to come then uh, to escape from Castro. So uh, he was a very wealthy man in Cuba. He owned a lot of real estate in downtown Havana. I even think he owned a casino. And uh, naturally Castro took everything away. But uh, he had purchased, uh, uh, when Ben-Gurion came to America in 1952, to begin to sell Israel bonds. So uh, the Jews in America, I think the Jews all over the world, they all felt that it was charity. You're going to buy a bond, but they're not, you know, Israel's going to pay back with interest. 
The bond is an investment. you know. And they had bad experiences because there had been many bonds that had been sold in the past uh, through Zionist organizations that defaulted. Companies that bought land in Israel and defaulted, all sorts of uh, horror stories in the 20s and 30s. So they figured the same thing here, but nevertheless, it's Israel, Ben-Gurion came, so people bought bonds. So then uh, they told them to go to Havana, there's a lot of wealthy Jews, and they'll buy bonds. So he said, so he bought $100,000 worth of bonds, which he figured is a donation to the state of Israel. Now Castro came to power, and Castro said, you know, you can't take anything with you, you can go, but you can't take any assets with you. But Castro also thought that Israel bonds were worthless. He was also convinced. So he said, you can take the Israel bonds. So he took the Israel bonds and he came to Miami Beach. He had $100,000 in Israel bonds. But uh, you know, they're not uh, due for another 13, 14 years, whatever. And he, hadn't, he wanted to start a business. He wanted to rebuild himself, and he had no way to do so. So he wrote to the Israeli consulate, then it was in Atlanta, Georgia, and they wrote to the Israel Bond Organization, and somehow the Israel Bond Organization redeemed this $100,000 in full early. And he went ahead from that, you know, in 1964, $100,000 was money, and he went ahead and he became a millionaire again, and, uh, you know, he was a very uh, interesting Jew in our shul. He helped me with my yeshiva in Muncie. It was very interesting. So he always used to tell me. He said, people say I'm a good businessman. He said, I'm an idiot. He said, I could have bought uh, $500,000 worth of bond. Well, but I, you know, I only bought $100,000. Right? I could have bought $500,000 worth of bond. So he said, I had the money. Well, I figured, you know, it's not going to be worth anything. So it's always like that. We always have that feeling. Could have. I could have bought all Rechavia 30 years ago, right? I could have bought it three years ago. Right? That's the feeling that people always have about uh, events. So he says that's uh, what it means. I'm ashamed of myself because I could have done uh, so much more and uh, somehow it slipped away from me. And he says, therefore... Uh, that's Bechayai. When I'm alive, I feel that way. How much more will I feel that way after my life when on the review of my life I will see how much more could have been done and was not done. So he says, we're in the left-hand column on 151, this is the uh, accounting of a person who is a holy person, an exalted person. He had the fear of God from Rav Chizda and the wisdom of Rav Huna. And he had the, uh, the humility of the greatest. So uh, he said, uh, if the great people like Rava said that, so then it's hard for us uh, to compare ourselves. 
And he's justifying here our custom of not saying this prayer every day. And we only say it on Yom Kippur, because only on Yom Kippur, so to speak, do we have a chance to say that the prayer is true. Because on Yom Kippur we, uh, we're uh, removed from uh, many of the temptations of life. We're in an exalted state. We're in the midst of the day of forgiveness and of tshuva. So then we could say it. But if you say it all, uh, every day, then a lot of it, then eventually you're hypocritical. Eventually the prayer doesn't register. And uh, uh, that's an idea that uh, we find in many, many areas in Jewish life. That less is more, so to speak. Because the more, so then in heaven they say, you know, what, what is, you know, what's, what, how come, you know, how come he's, he's, how come he's putting on this act? Let's look at him. Let's see what's doing. So we want heaven to ignore us. Like we want the, uh, governmental authorities to ignore us. Like we want the, uh, the revenue, uh, uh, the departments to ignore us, right? File your income tax and hope that they lose the file, right? That's our, that's the Jewish attitude towards heaven. And that's why the Yemei Adin are uh, so awesome because on the Yemei Adin all the files are there. All year long somehow, you know, they, they can overlook it. They're, they're not busy with you. But on the Yemei Adin, so that's how it says, Ovrim Lafon of Kivnei Maron, we pass by individually one by one, so then the file is open. And therefore, that, that brings the awe into the uh, thing. So that's why he says, May it be your will that I will, uh, I will exploit the opportunities that are presented to me. And we know he's sincere in that. Just like uh, uh, someone who is in, uh, in commerce or in business or in any other, uh, you know, he has an opportunity to do something. Oh, yeah, I want to use it. I want to exploit it. And what I didn't exploit before, uh, you erase it as though I didn't have a chance to do it. So he's not talking about sins that were actually committed. He's talking about the fact that he didn't exploit the opportunity that was given to him. And therefore, he says, tshuva, which we read about in the Parsha, is not only a tshuva on what we did, it's a tshuva on what we didn't do. It's a, a tshuva, and again, uh, there's a famous piece from the Go and the Vilna, which uh, I hope to discuss uh, next Shabbos, uh, on it. But he says as follows. Uh, I'm on page 152. So there's a medrash in Tehillim, which uh, explains this David thing. Here in 152 in the right-hand column, beautiful medrash. David said, Milfonecha mishpoti yeitzei. I want that you should judge me, God. We say that in Tachnun every day. I want to be judged by God. I don't want to be judged by human beings. What's the connotation there? So the Medrash says, It's a fabulous Medrash. God said to David, What is it? There's a Sanhedrin here. There are judges. There are Rabbonim. You want to, you want to psak halocha, go, you want to know, 
Tshuva, go to them. What are you going to me for? Go and tell them you're tell them what happened with Batsheva and they'll tell you what to do. Omar David You wrote in your Torah that judges, human judges, should not take Shochad. They should not be uh, susceptible to bribery, to corruption. So they're afraid to judge me because of the fact I'm the king, I'm David. So they're afraid. They won't take Shochad. So they will be harder on me than you're going to be because they don't want to be susceptible to Shochad. We find that uh, uh, public figures that many times are brought to trial and to uh, sentencing sometimes are treated more harshly simply because they are public figures. So the judge bends over backwards uh, not to be uh, accused of uh, playing favorites. The matter says, but I want you because you take shochad. God takes shochad. God takes graft. What does that mean? Shenemar shochad mechek rishoyim yikoch. It's a posseg in Mishle. The Rabboni Shalom takes shochad from the evil people. Moa shochad shakodish borcho notem in rishoyim. What is the shochad that God takes from rishoyim? Tshuva. Umasim tovim. He gives him a chance to do tshuva. Masim Tovim, he takes into account the good deeds that they did. And therefore, Kaviyochol, the Ravonu Shalom, is Meshuchad. The Ravonu Shalom somehow was corrupted by it, right? So David said, I want to be judged by you because you're going to take the whole picture into account. You're going to take the whole thing into account. You're going to see me as the author of Tehillim. You're going to do all the good that I did and that I could do and the fact that I saved Israel. All of that will be taken into account when you come to judge. If I go to the Sanhedrin, none of that is taken into account. Because there it says, Lo yikach shochad. And therefore that's why he said to God, he said, Nipla no biyad Hashem. Let me fall into God's hand, Veloba, and not in man. Because man very rarely can take the whole picture into account. And we know many times in life uh, uh, that a person did great things and wonderful, and if one thing he uh, did wrong or he didn't didn't quite live up to what the expectations were, that's it, and he's ruined. That's his reputation, that's his career, that's it. Remember, somebody called me about a shidduch, and he said uh, he's got his daughter. They have uh, a young man that they're taking into account, etc., etc. And uh, what do I know about him? I said, I know very little about him, but uh, what I know is, is positive, which is true. He said, I heard uh, that he was once uh, thrown out of the yeshiva. So I said, well, I don't know that, but do you know the circumstances? So he said, he called me back and he said, I researched it. Yeah, he was thrown out of the yeshiva uh, because uh, uh, they, uh, they, uh, he, he uh, I mean, it was absent three days, whatever. It was something, you know, it was some childish thing when he was 14 years old. 
So I told him, you know, greater people than he have been shown out of the yeshiva. I, I, you know, and then I said, you got to look at the whole picture, right? Just because somebody was thrown out of the I said, it's the, I wouldn't say that it, it should go on his resume that he was thrown out of the yeshiva. But uh, I don't know if that's the reason to turn anybody down. Because, uh, you know, the yeshivas are not infallible. And they, so I told him that Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky told me that Rabbi Chaimezer Grzynski, the great Gon and Sadik and Rova Vilna, who was an Iwi, uh, a genius, so he was thrown out of his, uh, out of his uh, cheder, out of his yeshiva, because he rode a goat into the classroom. So the Rebbe threw him out of the yeshiva, right? And Rabbi Yaakov told it to me then. He said, you know, your job is not to throw anybody out. Your job is to hold them. And he said there are only two reasons to throw anybody out. One is uh, a thief, steals in the yeshiva, or pornography. He said those are the only two reasons. He said the other reasons are not valid. And, and I have it from my own personal experience many times, uh, you know, <laughs> the guys that co- cause me the most trouble are the ones that give me the most menachas today. You know, you gotta gotta hold on, right? And the same thing is true, I'm sure, with childrens. It's not true with members of the synagogue, but nevertheless, it's uh, it's a point. So David Amelech said, "Listen, God, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, my my uh, my appeal is to you. I don't want to go to the Sanhedrin. I don't want to go to human beings. You judge me because you see the whole picture." So that's why the Gemara says that David Amelech was making Mulo Shel Tshuva. He is the one that showed us the greatness of Tshuva, that the greatness of Tshuva is that it allows God to see the whole picture and not just the one incident. Human beings see one incident. And uh, therefore, uh, if we look in the Parsha of Nitzavim, which he mentions later, if you look in the Parsha of Nitzavim, it describes all the terrible things the Jewish people did. You worship the idols and you have murder and uh, immorality and everything. and uh, But it's all going to be great. How could it be great? Look what they did. Because it says at the end, You'll do tshuva. You'll come closer. And when you do that, God will look at the whole picture. And the whole picture, somehow it'll, uh, it will be ameliorated. David won't be written out of the book. I mean, if you look in Tanakh, uh, most of the people that we have in Tanakh that are described for us uh, would not uh, pass muster in art scroll today, right? Yiftach, Gidon, David, Shlomo, you know, they go down the whole list. Because the Tanakh, which is uh, divinely inspired, looked at the whole picture. Tshuva is what allows us to look at the whole picture. And uh, we say that uh, in uh, Kohelis, uh, we'll hear it on Sukkot, Sof Dovor Akol Nishma. Let's take everything into account. That's Sof Dovor. The bottom line is we have to take everything into account. You have to see the whole person. You can't just pick and choose the one incident, uh, the one failing. So that's what the, the Medrash said about Dovin HaMelech, that he was making Ulo Shal because of this 
ability to, so to speak, play upon uh, the willingness of God to accept shochad, uh, to accept tshuva, masim tovim, to see the whole picture of the person and not just the one negative, no matter how great that one negative is. So the one negative, the person is punished, that's for sure. But that doesn't decide, so to speak, the ultimate fate of that person. So he says here in the bottom of 152 in the left-hand column, We can explain this easily. He says there are generations that have an excuse for why they are not observant. The Torah was good for those, for that generation. Those that ate the mon, for the generation of the desert. Or when things were good for the Jewish people. Today, he's talking about his time. He's talking about his time. We're oppressed in the exile. Yisomim, we are alone. Milchemes b'achayim koaza. So again, I mean, I always think, uh, I remember in Chicago, uh, there were uh, so many good Jews, uh, really good Jews, that went to work on Shabbos. Because they had nothing to eat. And they, you know, if you don't come in on Saturday, they don't come in on Monday. So they said, what can we do? Right. Of course, uh, it had a, that's the Sifre Chaim and Sifre Mesi. So it had an effect upon their children. I would say that we had a, my father Shul, we had a Hashkoma minion. You know, today uh, the Hashkoma minion is uh, holy. That's where God davens. The later minion is for the plebeian. But uh, then the Hashkoma minion was for those that were going to go to work. So uh, if I, when I was a child, I came to shul with my father, and it was uh, like a quarter to nine, and they were all coming out to get on the streetcar and go to work. And I asked my father, you know, what is that? Who were they? Because then we had our minions, and we had another... Uh, my father wouldn't answer me. Later on, I figured it out. So they, you know, they went to shul, and they heard Kriya Torah, and they went to work. Their children didn't go to shul anymore. And their grandchildren uh, assimilated. And their great-grandchildren married Goyim. But uh, how do we judge that? How do we judge that? So he said... So he says that's the idea of Sifre Chaim and Sifre Mason. So I can't judge them, he says, but the, their influence is there. That's what caused it. That is what caused it. I, when I grew up in Chicago, we knew every Shomer Shabbos in Chicago. There were 250,000 Jews, and we knew every Shomer Shabbos. Can you imagine that? We don't know every Shomer Shabbos, even in Rechavia. 
let alone in Yerushalayim, let alone in New York, in Chicago today, wherever. But where I grew up, we knew everyone, every family. So he said, so that, that uh, say so he's writing about that time, that that's what happens. So he says here in 153, in the left-hand column, so therefore both ways, positive influence, it's a negative influence. It goes both ways. And that's why it says, just like they investigate the book of those who are living, we look at what is departed. How much of an influence are they in those who are alive today? For good or for better. So that's the omekadin, right? That's what he wants. That's the, the depths of the judgment. And so David HaMelech said, when it comes to such judgments, I would want God to judge and not people. Because people, they're not, they're not charitable. We can be charitable with money, but we're not always charitable towards people. We don't always uh, look to uh, see the whole picture. We're quick to judge. And that uh, certainly is in our media world today, where every little thing is magnified. So how do we know? So on page 154, he says, Therefore we can say, There are two types of judgments that occur. One is on what actually occurred. The facts as they were. The effect that it had upon others. So therefore, uh, the word says about Yeruvim ben Nevot. We find it in the mission in Ovos. He's not only punished for what he did, for what he dragged others to do. So again, it goes both ways. Sometimes what he did is so many others are influenced positively. That judgment cannot occur simultaneously. Judgment on what a person does, that's when he does it. That's the fact. But the influence, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. And in fact... David Amelech, that's what the Medrash means, the Gemara, that, that he should not have sinned, but because of his sin came out Tshuva, the effect, so to speak, out of that negative act was a positive thing. Because then people saw how Tshuva helps. People saw that the Ramoni Shalom will accept them no matter what, that there is room to come back, that that's the possibility. So then, then, then that's, uh, that's Lutzchus. That's for the merit, and not just for the demerit. And therefore, that's why we say that uh, on Rosh Hashanah also, we say to Ravona Shalom, we don't want to be judged. But on the other hand, if we have to be judged, we want to be judged by heaven and not by others. 
because then the entire picture can be seen and we can know what to do. This concludes this lecture by Rabbi Beryl Wine. For information, please contact the Destiny Foundation at 1-800-499-WINE. That's 1-800-499-9346. We can also be reached by email at info at jewishdestiny.com, and you can shop online at www.rabbiwine.com. Due to copyright laws, we kindly request that there be no duplication of this lecture except through the Destiny Foundation.